Recording. Okay. Well, thank God we have a new edition and uh, get to learn some Torah as a merit for my uh, my wife's, uh, you know, thank God she's healthy, but it is a recovery from having a new baby and the boy should have his bris in his proper time. So whoever hears this, let's celebrate and learning. No, no better way to celebrate than to learn. Right, Mr. Shapiro? Right. Okay. All right, Parsha Shmini. Parsha Shmini is actually one of my most favorite Parshios. And I want to share an idea from my teacher, Rabbi Gibber. I, I, this, you know, sometimes you hear an idea and it sticks. And this idea I must have heard um, about 24 years ago. And I like to share it every year by this week's Torah portion. So the name of this week's Parsha is a Parshas Shemini which is, means eight. It was the eighth day. So it's a famous idea. It says in the Talmud, a very uh, unusual statement. It says that a person is allowed to have an eighth of an eighth of gava. What's gava? Gava is to be haughty, to be conceited. And the Talmud says this very unique uh, statement that a person can have an eighth of an eighth of uh, conceit. So there's two questions which many commentators ask, but my teacher, Rabbi Gibber, asked this question. And he asks, well, first of all, elementary math would mean to, that's what, what's an eighth of an eighth? One sixty-fourth. Well, it's a little simpler to say one sixty-fourth than to say an eighth of an eighth. And second of all, it is a very unusual number. In fact, I'm not aware, not that I'm an expert in the Torah in any place, but I'm not aware of ever seeing anywhere else in the Torah where it says this number of one sixty-fourth. And in general, in the Torah, if you'll notice, there are patterns. There's numbers that come up a lot. Seven, eight, three, four... You know, we just did that by the Seder. But 64, you're never here. So there's a lot of answers, and it's really a very, uh, uh, it's very exciting to and uh, interesting to hear all the different cute answers. But I'll just share with you Rabbi Gibber's answer, and it has to do with this week's Parsha. Because what's the name of this Parsha? Eight, the eighth, Right? So we say the first eighth that the Talmud is referring to, it doesn't mean one eighth. It says, look in this Parsha, Parsha eight, one eighth. And if you look in the eighth verse, so it's the eighth verse in the Parsha called eight. In this week's Parsha, what does it say? Lo and behold, it says, Aharon came close to the altar and sacrificed. What does that have to do uh, with one with God with conceit? So Rashi says over here that what's the verse telling us that Aaron hesitated because we know that in the year preceding, right now we're talking about the establishment, the um, erecting for the first time, the tabernacle. The tabernacle was brought with the whole idea of the tabernacle is a atonement. To, uh, for the uh, the sin of the golden calf, and our own, we know his name is in the story. Obviously, his his uh, culpability is very limited, 
But Aaron, as the um, establishment of the tabernacle was being set up, he was a little bit hesitant. He's like, you know, maybe I'm not really the person for this. I was a little bit involved in it. And Moshe goes over. Rashi brings this down from the Medrash. Moshe goes over to Aaron and says, Aaron, you're being too humble. You have to know who you are, says Moshe. Is it time to be uh, humble or not? It's just a time to be meek, a time to be hesitant, but there's a time to know who you are and act apart. And mo and that, says Rabbi Gibber, is what the Talmud is telling us, that a Torah scholar needs to have an eighth of an eighth of Gava. Go look in Parsha number. It called eight. Look in the eighth verse and you see the type of conceit, quote-unquote, that's allowed and encouraged and necessary for really anyone, but specifically a Torah scholar in this context, is to know who you are and to, uh, and and because if you don't, because what's the down, what's the downside, explained Rabbi Gibber and, and many others, that if a person does not uh, allow themselves to pay attention to who they are, they will um, avoid taking the initiative when appropriate. They'll avoid taking on responsibility when they're needed. It, it, it reminds me, this is something Rabbi Gibber, anyone who spent any time in his school and his classes, he really, really gives this over to his students. And thank God, I con still consider myself a student of his uh, going on 24, 24 years. And I remember sitting in the office with him once. I actually worked on staff for, uh, I think, eight years. And back in the pre-corona days, there was something called a dinner. I don't know if it's coming back because everyone's doing dinners online. But back in the day, there were dinners and you had honorees. And, you know, and the purpose of the honoree, really everyone knows, is to raise money for the institution. So I remember one time sitting there with Rabbi Gibber in the office, and we were calling numerous people who had a connection, alumni, parents, friends. And one particular year, uh, we got a lot of no's. And many of the people who were saying no, they were saying no uh, in what they perceived was humility. And I remember Rabbi Gibber told me, he said, you know, I wish they would, you know, they asked me all kinds of other questions. I wish they would ask me if it's appropriate to accept the honor or not. Because he said, obviously, there's exceptions and everyone has their own situations. But if the reason is humility, said Rabbi Gibber, it would be, for most people, that would be misplaced humility. Because the purpose of the honoree is to bring money into the yeshiva. And if, if it's all possible, I remember actually, you know, I remember... Um, there was a time when when I was I had that, that opportunity, and one time I really had to say no because it wasn't possible, but uh, a different time it was possible. So that's something that uh, we all have to be able to keep in mind. Today, there's certainly a tendency for us to underestimate our ourselves. There's an interesting Zohar. Zohar, we're getting close to like Vomer and Mishim Bayichai, the inner mysticism, the deep. Uh, secrets of the Torah. So the Zohar, on this week's parsha, he, he has a comment on the infamous story that's in this week's parsha. The infamous story in this week's parsha um, 
is the story of Nadav and Avil. My wife are, and I are, uh, you know, when you have a, a child born, so you think about the Parsha, you think about the current events, the holidays, and there weren't too many names in this week's Parsha that we, uh, as, as as wonderful as, uh, as, uh, as we'll hear in a second they are, you know, we, we, we weren't, we didn't, we didn't really find any names in the Parsha that we wanted to do. Uh, maybe the Duchifas or something. But anyway, that's a that's a joke for later. Okay, so the story basically is is the story of Nadav and Avihu. Nadav and Avihu were Aaron, the high priest's oldest sons, and it's a very uh, nuanced story. But long story short, on the day of the inauguration, they uh, misstepped and they were playing with fire, literally, and uh, they got killed on the spot. And it's a uh, it's a very complicated story, and I don't think right now we have a time. I'm going to focus to 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 understand that story fully. But I wanted to quote for you a fascinating Zohar, and I think it was a very powerful message for us uh, in 2021. So Zohar says a cryptic statement. He says, "Whoever cries over this story, this tragedy of these two promising young leaders passing away." Whoever cries over this, God will forgive them for all their sins and guarantees that they will not bury their own children. Sounds pretty powerful, a little morbid. But the question is, what's what's the Zohar saying? What's the Shem Bayuchai sharing with us over here? What is most I, over my most of my life, you know, you kind of gloss over the story, you know, you learn from here that you know you gotta you got to follow the rules, especially when you're dealing with, with uh, very holy things. And, uh, okay, so the part of it, Shirov, see, small people like me, at least uh, in certain ways, um, the way you understand, you know, with, with, you know, you see the Chavetz Chaim sometimes shares Zohar's with us. And thankfully, uh, I, I have really, I'm not, not one who can tell you what the Zohar says, but the Panovich Sharav, the Panovich Sharav and Rev, Rev Kahneman of blessed memory, he explains what this uh, cryptic line is saying. He says that you really have to understand what happened over here. Happened over here was you have Nadav and Haviu. They were destined to be the next Moshe and Aaron. But they were going to be the, the leaders who were going to actually take the Jewish people into Israel. Bedris says that in a certain sense, I'm not sure exactly which sense, but in a certain sense, they were greater than Moshe and Aaron. Whatever that means. So, if you think about that, even on a small level, imagine you're you have a shul that that had a big campaign, everyone's excited, and God forbid the rabbi of the shul's two sons die. You'd be like, here you have God's God's house. Okay, it's a sad story, but what makes it that that Rabbi Yochai says if if you mourn over this. So the Panavichirov says that if they wouldn't have died, if they, you know, they were greater than, than Yehoshua. They were, in fact, greater 
than Yehoshua. And if they would have been the leaders, the trajectory of Jewish history would have been a lot different. And says the Panovich Rav, and he said this right after the Holocaust, there are, we have a lot, a lot of tragedies throughout our history. But it's important for us, as Rebecca Wine always says, that we, if we, we don't learn from history, then we're a part of history. And this is one of those ideas that we have to take stock of. We have to take stock of what we're missing and mistakes that were made and to some degree, to some major degree, learn from them and appreciate what we can have, what we don't have. And that doesn't happen very often. Another such period of time is we always read this Parsha during the, during the Sphera. That's another major, major change. And that's why, you know, a lot of people ask the question, you know, there've been many tragedies in Jewish history. 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva, unfortunately, numerically, that's happened many times. And the Panovich Rav explains that that's the idea. There are certain junctures, and the Holocaust is one of them. Rabbi Akiva's students is, is one of them, and Adav and Avihu is one of them. And therefore, one who has the sense, the spiritual sensitivity, the the uh, the clarity of vision to see that that when things aren't the way they that they can be, and we do need to to, to do better in in a, in, a, in a in a lot of ways, that person is a person who's going to be living a very high and appropriate life. So, continuing along this little story, so we said before that Aaron was hesitant to get involved in the, in the service because he thought he wasn't deserving. Moshe comes over to Aaron, and he says, Moshe, and he says, Aaron, uh, you know, I kind of knew this was coming. And Aaron's like, why don't you tell me? He's like, I knew, it says in the Sikh's Parsha, it says, Bikrovai Ekadesh. I will be sanctified, God says, I'll be sanctified by those who I'm close to. The Moshe tells Aaron, you know, I always thought that you or I were going to have, we're, we're going to be the, the people who are going to be sacrificed. Somehow there will be a tragedy with us because I knew that some great person who was close to Hashem would uh, would pass away. I always thought it would be one of us. I see it wasn't one of us. It was one of your sons. He actually was saying how great, he was telling them how great his sons must have been. So the question is, though, we know Moshe throughout the Torah is known as the Moshe, Adam Mikal Adam, he was the most humblest of men. And here you go. Moshe says, you know, I always thought that, you know, the guy who's closest to God, the greatest people, you know, that's me. So some of the Farsham ask, you know, what's the, what's the appropriateness of such a mentality? Is that in sync with Moshe's um, general persona? So there's a famous story with Rabbi Chaskal, Rabbi Chaskal Abramsky, Chatzko Abramsky, he was um, uh, in Eretz Yisrael, but for a while he was the head, the greatest halachic decisor in um, in England. And there was a whole, uh, there was a, I think there was a big uh, issue over Shechita, 
and Rabbi Abramsky was called to to swear uh, about some sort of uh, testimony about halacha. And the clerk says to, uh, under oath to Rabbi Abramsky, he says, is it true that you are the greatest halachic uh, authority in, in Great Britain? And he says, yes. Everyone was in shock. The clerk stopped the proceedings and whispered to the rabbi. He says, doesn't your religion preach humility? And here you are in, a, in, in such a public forum with no inhibition saying that you're the greatest uh, uh, Jewish law authority in the whole Great Britain. He says, look, I'm under oath. Right? What do you learn from there? That humility is not a lack of awareness. The famous, fascinating uh, halachic response, uh, tshuva it's called, from Ramosha Feinstein, he's got thousands of them, but there's a famous one where Ramosha Feinstein is coming to uh, really take a position about something which was very controversial, and, and, and Ramosha Feinstein was known as the kindest, most humblest of men. You, you never... He was such an unassuming person. But in if you read his writings, they're written in such a humble way. But in one particular truva in Evan Ezer, he says, he, is a, he, goes, he goes off, as they say in today's day and age. He goes off with his credentials. And he actually says how the opposing opinion was very not credentialized. And the point was, and he basically explains, and you see from here what humility is and what it's not. But Moshe says all his credentials, a lot of his credentials, and then says, but you know what? My credential is all these very authoritative things about him, what he knew and where he came from. He's like, everything I have comes from God. My intellect comes from God. My ability comes from God. My opportunities come from God. And that's why I'm so authoritative. When, when I'm saying something, it's how, it's how authoritative it is. And he was saying how the opposing position had total opposite in that. And they weren't coming from that strong position. But we see from Ramosha Feinstein and we see from Ramosha, Ramosha Rabbeinu and Ramosha and many others. That humility is an awareness, a full awareness of everything, all the all the skills and opportunities and, and things that I'm privy to, but with the awareness that it all comes from Hashem and it could be taken away at a moment's notice. It's not mine. The famous Gemara, the famous Mishnah, the Gemara on the Mishnah says. Mishnah Pergevos talks about when different rabbis passed away, it was the end of a certain era. And the Gemara, the, the, the Mishnah says that Rabbi Yehuda Anasi, who was the author of the, uh, of the Mishnah, it says when Rabbi Yehuda Anasi passed away, humility left the world. So the Gemara discusses this Mishnah, and it brings down the famous Rabbi Yosef. Rabbi Yosef, when this Mishnah was being taught in the base Madrash, Rabbi Yosef gets up 
And he says, what do you mean there's no more humility? How about me? And the same question, all the commentaries go to town. <laughs> what is this? First of all, it's a Mishnah. Second of all, you're showing off in front of the whole, uh, whole yeshiva. And I forgot where I saw this. But a uh, really, really interesting explanation. It says, if you know, when you read Gemara, the Rabbi Yosef is one of the more common names. And Rabbi Yosef was someone who we find was the greatest scholar. And when he got old, he forgot a lot of his Torah. In fact, he became blind and his student, I, I forgot who it was, but his students would always go back and say, oh, didn't you, didn't you used to say this? And he would remember. And Rabbi Yosef was aware of this challenge that he had. And Rabbi Yosef was telling the base Medrash, not that he's the greatest rabbi to ever live, but that my story is what will teach you about humility. Because my story says, Rabbi Yosef, look, I was the great Rabbi Yosef. I knew everything. But you know what? Hashem gave it to me, and Hashem took it away from me. I'm not the person who I was. And that's the lesson of what, uh, of what humility is. But it's beyond important for a person to know, like we said before, who they are. Because if we don't know who you are, then you can't use what you got, whether it's a physical talent, whether it's an asset, whether it's knowledge, you really, if you're not aware of something that you have, then uh, you certainly use all, so many famous stories. A person had a talent they didn't realize their whole life. They had an ability they didn't have their whole life. Uh, we could talk about that all night. But that's uh, that's the lesson we learned from Moshe Rabbeinu and our Moshe Feinstein and everybody else. There's so much in this partial. Let's move on from the story. Most This parsha is most famous for keeping kosher. This is where the vast majority of the laws that are written out in the Torah of keeping kosher are enumerated. In fact, there are more verses in, in this parsha about keeping kosher than there are about even Shabbos. Kosher is spelled out a lot more than many other mitzvahs. And we know kosher is a... I believe if you go through the, the number of laws in the, in, the, in the Code of Jewish Law that are kosher, I believe, is about one-twelfth of the 613 commandments. One-twelfth of those 613 are, are part of what it takes to keep kosher. So keeping kosher is, a, is a, as we know, a very central part of, uh, of being a Jew. One of the things that takes up a number of verses in this parsha is the list of non-kosher birds. There's a list of birds. Most of them, we have no idea what they are. Um, but any bird that's not in the list is kosher. So one of the lists, the Marn Chulin says, is the, uh, the chasidah. The chasidah, we, we know what it is. It's a stork. So, you know, I met the stork the other day. The stork, you know, for some somehow the stork, and I think actually if you hear this idea, you'll understand why the stork is the bun that delivered um, Dumbo, right? That's how Dumbo started out with the stork. So 
the Ramban says, oh, we'll go first. The Gemara says, why is the stork called the Chasidah? It's called the Chasidah, Chasidah, whatever it is. Um, because it does kindness with its close family and friends. That's probably why they use the stork. The stork is, you know, I don't know what it is. But the Ramban says, that doesn't make any sense, says the Ramban. Doesn't all of these birds, they are supposed to be cruel birds. So why, if it's a kind bird to its friend and family, then why is it not kosher? So Chedush Yarim, the original uh, Ger Rebbe, starter of the Ger dynasty, he says that if someone only does chesed, if someone's chesed, their kindness is exclusive, that shows that it's not really kindness. If someone only is able to do kindness to their friends and family, that shows to a certain degree or to a large degree that the root of their kindness is, is, is selfish. Is, is that they, they only really care about themselves? Well, because you would take care of your family, you're taking care of yourself, you take care of, of your friends, you know, what goes around comes around, you know, the idea of social contract. But, but obviously a person, we know, kindness starts at home, kindness starts with friends and family. But if you never will do anyone else a favor, then that, that's not kindness. That shows that you're not really kind. They, um, there's a famous rabbi uh, about uh, over hundred uh, over hundred years ago, I believe, in in, in the, the the rabbi of Yerushalayim, Rabbi Shulay Diskin. So there was a group that was started in uh, the yeshiv there in the settlement, and it was called the the Chaverim group. It predated the current Chaverim, and the Chaverim group was. If you wanted to join the club, you had to agree that anyone in the club would always help out anyone in the group. If you're a part of the group, that means everyone helps you and you help them. So they went to Yishulei Diskin and they asked him, do you approve of this? And he said, oh, it was called the Friendship Club, right? He said, this is a horrible idea. It's a horrible idea. He says, only if someone's a part of the club, you help them? He says, what kind of ridiculousness is that? In clients, shall you help wherever you can? Of course, you have to know your, your limitations. So a lot of the times, you only end up helping your family and friends. But if, you can't be exclusive in that way. If you can help someone else, then, then you do. Now, afterwards, someone it was talked about, and they said, look, this obviously is not the ideal. This is a, a, a construct, a construct. A way to get people to start thinking outside of themselves, and the goal would obviously be to more to be more kind. But the idea um, uh, says the Chedushi Arim is that we kindness has to be our essence; it can't be limited. And and uh, it's a hard thing, very hard thing. Obviously, we have very busy lives. But uh, I heard a famous idea from the, Reb, um, the head of Maor Choshlomo. Uh, Gershon, um, forgetting his uh, rest of his name. He's a big Tamachachim. And I asked him once, I said, you know, a lot of, a lot of time I spend my day or, or my year doing things which uh, aren't, not that I'm the highest spiritual levels, but I'm doing and spending the time doing things which really, you know, are below my pay grade. 
whatever that means. You know, I, I, I'd rather be learning uh, Talmud, Shulchan Aruch. I'd rather be singing uh, certain songs. And uh, But a lot of time, I spend my time doing things which are, you know, someone would say, maybe it's not, not what I should be doing. So I said, how are my kids going to know that that I'm not doing this because uh, I'm just like to shoot the breeze. At the, the, how I, so he said, your kids are going to know what's really important to you when they see what do you do when you're not busy? What do you, what do, you do when you, when you have, when, when you're the one who gets to decide when, what's going on? And, that, and that's the same thing we're saying over here with kindness. If a person, let's say they, they, they you know, for so, somehow... At the moment, things are okay with their family, and they have a little bit of extra money. They have a little bit of extra time. Would they help someone else? If they wouldn't, then it really says something about who about their giving nature. Uh, running out of time here. Um, okay, this is really this is really really cool. So let's go back to the story before. Aaron, we saw, was nervous. Moshe goes over to Aaron. The, the Taurus Karnim, the Medrash, speaks out a little bit more what was going on over there. The Taurus Karnim says that Aaron told Moshe, you know why I'm nervous? I'll tell you why I'm nervous. Because I know that I made a mistake. I know. Don't tell me. Nobody else sometimes someone says, like, comes over to you and says, you know, it's okay. It's not your fault. But you know it's your fault. You know you did something wrong. And you know you did something wrong. You don't want to hear from someone, no, I didn't do something wrong. You did do something wrong. So I said, Moshe, I know what I did. I know my mistake. I regret it. And I, I, but I was very thought out. And Aaron told his brother Moshe, I'll tell you what my mistake was. I saw what was happening. My relative horse stood up for what was right by the golden calf. You know what happened to him? He got killed. And at that point, I wanted to follow him because what's right is right. But I realized, you know what happens if I go and give up my life now? For history, it's going to be, look, Hor stood up and you didn't listen. Aaron stood up and you didn't listen. It's all your fault, it would be. It's all the Jewish people's fault. And Aaron said, you know what I can do? I'm going to minimize my sin, but I don't want it to be the Jewish people's fault. I know that this actually is going to hurt me. By me being a part of this, this is going to, uh, this is going to, to really hurt me. But I, I don't want them to be alone. I don't want them to, to, to bear the whole brunt of the sin. And therefore, I, that was my mistake, because I basically, I did a sin on purpose, a very small, small sin, but I, my intention was to, to the, out of kindness. Now, you have to, it's a very hard decision to make, and these are obviously things that need to be taken very carefully when a person, quote-unquote, pushes away their own values. But Moshe said, you're forgiven. Yes, maybe there was some sort of small mistake, but your decision was truly, purely out of love. 
And the Talmud talks about this in numerous cases. You have this with Esther when she went to Achishverosh. You have it with Baichana, Baichana, Baihudis, and, um, and, and Hanukkah. And this is a similar situation where Aaron, he, he did something to some small degree wrong, but he did it with the purest of intentions. Now, for us, you know, obviously we know where, where, where the pure intentions can go often, but the idea of just the idea of a person being willing to give up something really important to them for someone else. And that is actually, um, it's a famous, I know when I was going into being a community rabbi, uh, a great rabbi told this to me. He said, you know, if you're always going to be focused on your knowledge and your personal growth level and your Judaism, you, you don't belong in, in being a community rabbi. A community rabbi has to be focused on the community, what the community needs. And, and, and don't worry about your level. Your level will, uh, will, will go up with that. And that's what Moshe was telling Aaron. He says, if you don't have what to worry about. Your main concern, you're focused on helping others. That's a really good spot. Obviously, a person has to be careful and know that they, in fact, do have the purest of intentions. But at least to have that sentiment, to have that, the, uh, that, that even thought process that you want to help other people. And sometimes you can't, but you have to want to. Maybe two more short ideas. Maybe this is relevant for this uh, for the current events. So Aaron's two sons die. Imagine. The Torah records his response. His response is by Yidom Aaron. Aaron was silent. Absolute acceptance of what happened. And absolute acceptance comes from an absolute clarity of an understanding how the world works. We have limited vision, limited scope. We don't really understand. And that actually is the happiest spot. When a per the more a person is able to just accept things without having to try to make sense out of everything. And a little, trusting in Hashem, trusting in God, that God, God, God knows best, and it's very difficult. And Aaron, this week's parsha, this is the paradigm of how one. And obviously, you don't tell this to someone who's suffering. You get to be empathetic, but of course, we're talking to ourselves. That um, as much as we can accept, and that actually, the acceptance comes from a clarity of vision, a clarity of purpose. And that is just a profound lesson of how to deal with tragedy. Just a, a, a word on keeping kosher. You can't not talk about keeping kosher in the part of keeping kosher. So keeping kosher, as we said before, is one of the most central parts of Judaism. There's like, I don't think really is a big three, but there's a big three that people talk about. You know, Jewish family law, Shabbos, and kosher. So what is so central about keeping kosher? I mean, we have so many mitzvahs. So one is that keeping kosher, in a certain sense, is the most, uh, the mitzvah that permeates the most. Every single thing that we eat, every single day of our lives, 
it represents a constant relationship that we have with God, and that and that is something which is is it, it's greater than any relationship that we have with any human being. No matter how a person is married, a person has children, you always can have even parents, even even spouses. You have moments when you are not with the other person, you have some space. Our relationship with God is so intimate and so close. It's never, never, it's never, ever, you never, ever can eat kosher. You always have to eat kosher. That's a symbol of our relationship with God. And that's a pretty powerful thing. It's a pretty helpful way. It's a nice cue to cue us in that, hey, Every time you're about to have something, you're like, wow, I just checked the ingredients. I just checked for the kosher sign. I just washed what I ate, if it was milk or dairy or how I did cook something. And that's that's part of our, you know, we have this in human relationships, but this is a great symbol uh, about the power of our own relationship with Hashem, each of our relationship with Hashem. Another idea on keeping kosher this is a little bit more uh, mystical because it's hard for us to wrap our heads around it, but it is true. As a concept, we are what we eat, and that all the kosher animals are all less, they're not aggressive animals. And we say that that, those, that, that, that uh, in a spiritual sense, we, we, uh, we're less aggressive in whatever bad. Bad uh, characteristic traits of being aggressive are that keeping kosher helps us with that. And then there's the general idea that Hashem just said so. Hashem says, look, it's kind of like taking aspirin. You got a heart problem, take aspirin. You got this, take that. We don't really understand it. God says this is just good for you. Our, we are a hybrid. We are spiritual and physical beings in the same way that our body we know needs sleep and needs oxygen and everything else that it needs. Our spiritual body needs certain things. And kosher is that. And that's that's what it is. Lastly, when the Torah discusses the kosher animals, at one point it delineates, you know, there's the famous signs that uh, mammals, they have to chew their cud and they have to have fully split hooves. And the Torah lists, there are four animals. And this is one, this is a fascinating idea, but just focus on this point. There's four animals in the whole animal kingdom that from, the, from beginning to the end of time that only have one of those signs. All the rest either have none or both. And when it lists those animals, it always lists the, what it does have first, the positive first. And the palm, he points out that we learned from the way Hashem talks how to be an effective communicator, an effective um, teacher, an effective friend, an effective parent. That it's got to be positive. As much, sometimes there's negative things to say. You have to say the pig's not kosher. It has split hooves. It doesn't split its gun. You got to say the rabbit's not kosher. You got to say the camel's not kosher. You got to say the hyrax is not kosher. But there's a way to say things. And if you, as much as possible, we are positive, 
we're going to be infinitely more effective, and we see this over and over again in the Torah. Quick review. Started out by saying, we learned that, where do we learn the proper type of humility? In the eighth parsha, in the eighth verse, it says that a person uh, needs to realize who they are so they can uh, properly use their resources. We learned from the Zohar, we learned that a person needs to be able to realize and learn from tragedies and know what you're missing and know what you could have. We learned from the Medrash, from Moshe Rabbeinu and Moshe Feinstein, that what true humility is, is to know that every, be fully in touch with who you are and what you have and know that it comes from Hashem. We learned from the Chedush Yarem, that true kindness is someone whose essence is kindness and who, if they can, they help anybody. And if they can't help other people, they still want to help other people. We learned that person has suffering, the most productive and, and, and practical way, person has faith in God, person understands that they don't really understand, and you have clarity and, and, you, uh, and you accept it. We learned that Aaron, yes, he did do some sort of sin, but his sin was he was trying to help other people, and he was willing to sacrifice of his own, his own personal growth. And that's something which is a part of our growth when we understand that. We learned about keeping kosher. Keeping kosher permeates our, our whole being. It's a, it, it's a, it shows our, our constant relationship with Hashem. It's our spiritual nutrients. It's our DNA. It makes us not have the bad traits of, of more aggressive animals. And we learned from Rapam, from the Pasuk, that we always have to be as positive as possible and we'll be much, much more effective in everything that we do. So, Mazel Tov. Have a good Shabbos. And uh, thank you for coming on. Uh, podcast land a good Shabbos.